when the pandemic hit, obviously, after getting past the initial shock and awe, the fact that everybody, every seller, every stakeholder was in the same camp of needing to be working from home and 100% remote, that, that was sort of a level set that actually I wanted to take advantage of. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Welcome back to the Leaders of B2B podcast. Today, I'm joined by the VP of Strategic Account Solutions at LivePerson, an end-to-end platform designed to help companies deliver conversations with customers at scale. Today's guest is the number one seller at LivePerson. In fact, he's closed over $50 million in SaaS sales with Fortune 100 companies like Delta, Chipotle, and United Airlines over the last three years. Brandon Fluharty, welcome to Leaders of B2B. Noah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, Brandon. I really am because I'm passionate about sales. I know we have a lot of sales leaders listening in today and really excited to learn some valuable lessons and techniques from you, but also really excited to get into some of the problems that salespeople are facing, particularly at this moment in time, you know, Q1 of 2022. It's uh, There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on with hustle culture, and I know you'll speak to that. But, you know, I sort of gave you an introduction, but I'd love to learn about your journey that, you know, tell us about your kind of sales journey, if you will. How did you end up at LivePerson? Yeah, like many folks, I got into sales not by choice, but by circumstance, and very glad that I did. When I started off in my early adulthood career, I was trying to be a professional soccer player. Spent some time in Europe. I was with a a first division club in Eastern Europe trying to win a a contract there. Left college early to pursue that. Unfortunately, ran into some injury issues, but I took a lot of focus and discipline and structure. And I brought that into my sales career and went back to school. And and when I got out of school, I, I still stayed in the soccer sphere. I started at a soccer education startup. You know, this is in Long Island, New York. And ironically, that's where I got an education in sales. I didn't know I was deliberately selling. Um, We were this small little startup of five people. We eventually grew it to 50 plus people but it did give me a lesson in entrepreneurship, but also how to sell, which is stop selling. <laughs> it just, just, just be natural, be a, be a human being first, and uh, good, good things can follow. And then from there, I parlayed that into I wanted to live and work in New York City. Um, another passion of mine, maybe your audience can or can't see it, but behind me is a DJ table. I, I taught myself how to, to DJ. And uh, even eventually got hired by that company uh, who was focused on helping DJs uh, work with you know major brands like Nordstrom, Gucci, uh, mixing their background music or putting DJs in stores to sort of monetize spaces. 
And that was my true first dedicated sales role as an account manager. And then, you know, fast forward 12, 15 years, my wife and I, we, we met in New York City. We decided we wanted to have a lifestyle change. We had the opportunity to, to move to Sarasota, Florida, where she grew up. Uh, it was supposed to be a temporary thing, but this was back in 2008. And the economy crashed. We'd never owned a home. It was a perfect time to buy a home. Fast forward to today, we still stayed here. Um, but I had to start over. I had to, you know, uh, this was before remote work was really a thing. So I had to start in the local market, sold print advertising, and then eventually television advertising for a local station, and then eventually got myself into SaaS, and then just climbed the ranks mid-market to enterprise. And then about four years ago, found myself at Live Person, having been recruited to, to come on board. That's solid. I know you're a wealth of expertise, Brandon, and we're so lucky to have you on the podcast today because we have a lot of you know, founders from B2B SaaS companies tuning in. And I'm sure you get this question all the time, and I fear I can't phrase it any more eloquently, but you've closed over $50 million in SaaS sales with Fortune 100 companies. H- how? You know, like how does how does one do that? And I believe it was a short period of time, three years. Is there a is there a framework you use? Is it is it intuition? I mean, what is it? What are some some techniques, some some advice that you could share with leaders, you know, regarding that? Yeah, there actually I literally just wrote a book about this. And there there are seven steps to it. The first step is I needed to get in the right environment to close large deals. And you know, from where I was coming from, I was with a late stage startup out of San Francisco, enjoying what I did. I was on a very small enterprise sales team. We were literally a team of two. And the, the company was really focused on the small and medium sized business category, but had aspirations to eventually grow and mature into focusing on the enterprise. So very much, you know, myself and, and Jake, who I was working with, we were selling the future. And that was fun, but I was limited in my income potential, truly limited in, in like what we could deliver to a really large company. And so again, I wasn't looking to leave necessarily where I was, but when I started talking with people and, and particularly the, the leaders at Live Person, they interestingly sat, you know, I kept a list on of like two things, companies I'd be willing to to talk to and then industries and live person sat on the industry side of, of that list uh, in the sense that they were in artificial intelligence, specifically conversational AI. And live person kind of s- sat on a sweet spot for me as well in the sense that it felt a lot like the culture that I was in, which is a late stage startup but also was a public company having been around for 25 plus years. So I knew I was going to get things that I wasn't going to get in the, the old company that I would at live person, things like true enterprise support and resources from legal to, you know, infosec and security audits and uh, solutions consulting, real enterprise case studies to, to reference. So that was very, very appealing to me. And then the the income potential, um, being a part of an of a industry that was growing rapidly in live person being a leader. So first step was just putting myself in the right environment. And then once I got in that environment, 
you know, I, I needed to, to change my mindset because here I was starting to be in the same room of C-level executives. So imposter syndrome started to, to really creep in. And I, I really needed to, you know, be comfortable talking with Fortune 10 level CEO and, and, and make sure that I could talk the talk and, and uh, you know, really deliver on the, the, the expertise that they were seeking. And so I went through an exercise of, of just, hey, I'm an introvert by nature. That felt like in my previous sales roles as something that was holding me back in my sales career. But I wanted to repurpose that because once I found myself truly in a strategic sales environment where it wasn't just about the numbers and churning things out, I could go deeper in inside these accounts. My introversion actually was an asset. So I work with coaches. I, I worked with you know some exercises myself to sort of rethink what these perceived weaknesses were. And I repurposed them almost as my sales superpower. So I needed to have the, the, the right type of mindset. And then as I was working on accounts, um, I wanted to find more meaning in, in the accounts that, that I was working on. Just because I had a territory or uh, I had a list of accounts, what I wanted to do is be more deliberate with accounts that had a, uh, an impact on me personally. Uh, so you, you referenced like Delta Airlines, for instance. That was one I was very familiar with because I was spending just about every other week on their planes. And so when I looked at my list, I prioritized Delta because I went through this exercise of almost like a, a Venn diagram of five different criteria that were really personal and meaningful to me. And selling a B to B to C solution, selling solutions that help a B2C brand, I really wanted to bring that level of experience that I had. And I, I was able to sit down with the executives because I knew what it was like to be a Diamond Medallion member and experience their planes, experience their, their club lounges, experience their app and, and website and, 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 and you know, what it was like to be on hold and so forth. So I could deliver really powerful commercial insights because hey, I was their top customer. And so that I, I think that just allowed me to mesh really well with their vision and their goals and their targets and what we could realistically deliver. Um, so those were sort of key foundational things. I had to be in the right environment, have the right mindset, and then I had to align my account. And then from there, I could sort of execute. And I tried to execute with more of a transformation mindset versus a transactional mindset. And, and that really takes growth and, and, and uh, a dedicated, uh, I should say, not so much growth, but, but, but more of like a dedicated effort in completing deep work. And, and what I found was I could operate in the hectic environment of the old way, which is an email, uh, uh, an email comes in or a Slack message comes in and I completely react to those things. And then before I know it, it's the end of the day and I never got anything done, like working on that proposal or that strategic presentation for one of my accounts. And before I know it, you know, the week is over and then the month is over and then the quarter and I've missed my quarterly number. So I really wanted to operate in a more strategic way that 
prioritize those high value activities and time block those deep work efforts. And so what I, I started to do was shift away from opening up my laptop and constantly just putting myself in a position where I was reactive to others and living in my, my inbox, I could really start doing those high value tasks as the first thing uh, that I that that I did when my energy was highest. And then that gave me the momentum throughout the day um, to, you know, feel confident and and know that I was every day moving towards, you know, some of these these high level big goals like closing a large deal and and getting these 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 massive transformation deals done. So those were sort of like the 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 building blocks that I was building to to be a successful and not just do it once uh, in, in a single year, but sort of do it. Uh, I needed to develop what I like to call personal operating system to keep doing it consistently every year. No, definitely. I, I love that. There's so much wisdom in that, Brandon. And, you know, a lot of the leaders we have tuning in today, CEOs, you know, other, you know, founders and so forth, I believe, you know, most CEOs and founders, for example, are not natural born salespeople. And even experienced sales reps, I'm sure, you know, that you coach and work with still to an extent, you know, when you get into a, uh, you know, a meeting room or a call with C-suite level executives at some of these, you know, massive organizations, there's still some imposter syndrome there. So I'd love it if you could just, you'd speak to that. What tactics have you found Again, it's like it's a pithy example, but it's it speaks to human nature and it speaks to all of us. And uh, yeah, what tactics have you implemented, or do you coach, you know, your your people on to help overcome that? So I think one of the most helpful things that I started to to do, and then I'm I'm starting to see in others that I'm I'm mentoring and and advising, is getting away from playbooks and blueprints. I think in sales, we've gotten caught in the trap of if I follow these steps, I will get these outcomes. And, and where is it driven from? Well, it's driven from a desire for predictability. And how do you create predictability? Well, you got to create playbooks. And then we've over-indexed on, on using data and activity metrics, to, I think, to a detriment when we really peel back and, and, and realize that sales is a very human-driven endeavor. And, you know, going through a linear process just doesn't mimic real life. And, and so what I found is the, the playbooks and, and the blueprints, they really only benefit one type of person. They, they, they benefit the, the creator in RevOps who doesn't necessarily have the experience of sitting on the front lines and sitting across from that C-level executive, they think they can create a persona in a vertical playbook that moves you through, again, this, this very fairy tale type of, of, of experience. And, and so I think what we can do better for not just our sales leaders, but, but those on the front lines, the individual contributors, is give them frameworks, give them mental models. And when I shifted to working across mental models, that helps me to, to guide my decisions every single day. Should I be doing this or should I be doing that? And three very simple mental models and frameworks that I use, one is called temper. 
um, manage your temper, T-E-M-P-R. And so T stands for time. Um, how are you spending your time? Is it on high value activities? And obviously every leader and, and, and every salesperson needs to answer the question, what are those high value activities? But you, you need to define that for yourself. Um, most of us in sales, it's, it's what's generating bookings or revenue. E, energy, how will you harness and maintain your energy throughout the pursuit of, of, the, of your work and, and these sales endeavors? M, motivation, you know, very simple thing, like what motivates you in life? Um, and we need to sort of to align our work with what we really want to accomplish in, in life. Um, P, priorities, you know, what will you prior, prioritize to complete the things that motivate you. And then R, the right focus. Um, how will you focus on doing the right things the best you can at all times? And so with that mental model in, in place, when you know your temper, you can start making decisions. Well, scrolling through endlessly in the middle of the day on Instagram or LinkedIn, that, that's probably not a good use of time you know, pursuing this account that's leading me down a dead end, you know, that's not very motivating. So, so that's one mental model. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And remind me, Brandon, of the name of your book. You mentioned you recently yeah. published a book. I'd love to learn more about it. Sure. It's, it's called the seven steps to seven figures, the complete anti-hustle guide to earning $1 million a year in, in SaaS sales. And, and through that, I walk through you know, the, the steps that I did. Um, and again, I don't look at it like a blueprint or a, a playbook. It, it's more of here's, here are some referenceable steps that, that you can take. But at the end of the day, you've got to make this a very personalized journey. And, and that's what I, I really hone in on and, and try to deconstruct in each of those steps. How do you make this, this journey? And honestly, it's not even about the money. It's, 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 that's the hook to get you into, to have a, a deeper perspective on integrating your work and life in, in, in this meaningful way. And it just so happens to be that being a top leader on the, on the leaderboard and a top earner, you know, the type of income that you were only dreaming of a few years ago are a natural outcome of, of doing that, that deep level work. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, most, so we live in a, a society where hustle culture is rampant. And the biggest problem I have with it is that it sort of emphasizes and romanticizes being busy for the sake of being busy, you know, but yeah. obviously we're, we're mortal creatures and uh, we have to keep that in mind. And, and I think a lot of people you know, who are, are not yet educated in this regard, Brandon would look at you, you know, a seven figure earner and they would say, wow, like you, you must be the king of hustle to get where you did, but you speak yeah. against that. Yeah. Uh, and the proof is in the actual data. So, you know, the old way of operating. And, and I would say that the pandemic was a good example of, of that pre pandemic operating the old way on a plane constantly, time zones, constantly working around the clock, not eating well, not sleeping well, almost even wearing a, you know, a lack of sleep like a badge of honor, which is common in hustle culture, to 
when the pandemic hit, obviously, the, after getting past the initial shock and awe, the fact that everybody, every seller, every stakeholder was in the same camp of needing to be working from home and 100% remote, that, that was sort of a level set that actually I wanted to take advantage of. And you know, having a consistent schedule helped me to double down on monitoring my sleep. I wear, you know, a whoop. It's one of the best wearables out there, but other people wear Aura Ring or a Fitbit. You can get um, a lot of really good insights from that. Going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time and doubling down on these things. I just started tracking them. I created this Google sheet, very simple Google sheet. And I started measuring three tranches of data. I started measuring the, the sleep data more specifically, how well recovered I was, how well I slept my sleep debt. The second um, tranche of data was, okay, how much time am I actually working? Um, I have a little thing called a timular. Um, and it's this cool little thing that is perfect in a remote environment. I just take it off its, its dock and turn it over and it automatically tracks my time so that I can have really clear visibility into, I think I work eight hours. No, I actually worked nine and a half hours doing these exact things. And so that gave me really good insights. And then I started dissecting that time even further. Like, okay, well, how much time am I spending in meetings? And how much time am I spending on that deep work? Uh, which why I was measuring through something called the Pomodoro technique. And so I would set a timer on very deliberate strategic work. So I'm not doing deep work for emails or cleaning up my CRM, that's shallow work. Deep work is the stuff that moves the needle on those high value activities, a strategic proposal, a presentation for a diamond account and, and, and so forth and so on. So I can measure those things. And then the last thing I would measure is just my overall mood and satisfaction. Did I, I would gamify, did I score well on the things that I intended, intended to do? And what is my mood? And I would measure that through another app called Gyroscope. And so I just started tracking this stuff for two years. And I optimized around, I, I called it, a, I, I created a holistic score called a Thrive Score. And across my health data, across my deep work efforts, and across my, my mood and satisfaction, I optimized around that. And I found seven hours of sleep um, is a great place for me no more than three hours of sleep debt in the week, um, no more than four hours of meetings, about um, you know eight Pomodoros, uh, so eight 25-minute efforts of solo tasking, deep work, and, um, and, and doing the things that I would normally do, like exercise and meditate and you know show gratitude, right? right? One thing that I'm gratitude would help my mood. And I closed more in 10 months than I did the previous two years by sort of operating in this in this new way that prioritized my my focus and and my health. Wow. So, um, and I'm sure, like you know, this is something that you were able to dissect when you you know got into the data. But did you find that you know in those ten months you were working less than you had been in the past? Yeah, that's the funny thing. Is I deliberately because I followed the Pomodoro technique, I had breaks, I had deliberate breaks. When that timer went off, I would step away from the desk, I would walk outside, get sun on my face, relax, meditate, 
um, whatever it is. And, and the actual work, because I was tracking it so closely, I could have a really impactful day in six hours, seven hours, no more than eight hours. That was really when I tried to, to max out because then my mood started to decline and my recovery scores when I really worked beyond that, especially if I had a lot of meetings, back-to-back -back meetings, um, those started to decline in my performance the next day. And so I started to find this, this sweet spot. Obviously, I believe in hard work and, 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 and more I'm believing in intense, um, concentrated work is the better way to operate because it's both enjoyable. You get in flow state and you're less distracted because you've systemized when you allow yourself to get distracted, meaning when I look at my email, when I respond to folks on Slack. Um, when I have time blocks for that, say, very specific times of day, like twice a day, that allows me to kind of free up and work more calmly instead of this constant frantic mode that I, ironically makes us work longer and get less done. And so I wanted to optimize again around that sweet spot. And you're right. I started working a little bit less than I did before. But the time you were working was supercharged. It was like super high quality flow state. And, and, and I think that's it. You know, I think leaders tuning in today, they wear so many different hats, you know, at their companies and at their organizations. And, you know, something so simple as to, you know, writing out a new proposal for a new prospective client and then somebody pings you in Slack and they bring up an issue. And next thing you know, you know, the next five hours of your day are shot and you were taken away from writing that proposal. You know, that's really the key. And and I suppose coming to grips with the fact that you can't do everything in one eight hour day as well. Right. Right. Yeah. And one thing that helped me there, I started using um, a, an app. Uh, it's a daily planner app called Sansama that integrated my calendar. It integrated my email. It integrated all my tasks, projects. I could bring it into a single place. And by orchestrating my day, and um, here's another framework that I follow. I call it prep plan, rest, effort, and perform. And the planning part I try to do, you know, is the last thing I do today is plan out tomorrow. And by using Sinsama, it allowed me to understand and pull everything into a single source and map out my day. And it would tell me, and it, it's, it has a setting that you can say, okay, if it's over eight hours of work that I'm trying to plan throughout the day, including my meetings that I've, I've all mapped out and when I'm trying to accomplish these things, it will put things in the red and it'll say, are you sure you want to try to accomplish all this? <laughs> and then it allows me to move things off. And because it's all visually there, I can move those low priority tasks off my plate. You know what? I don't need to do that tomorrow. I can push that off to next week or move some things around. And that allowed me to, again, leave work with a clear head and get everything out of my head so it's not nagging at me in the evening and I can get quality rest and recovery and sleep so that then I wake up and then all I have to do is execute my plan and E, effort, like give 100% intense effort on those things that I prioritize for myself without getting too distracted. And then the, the final P, 
performance, I could look at my performance on in in a in a really um, objective way. And and when it's all out in front of you, it, it's binary. It's like I either did it or I didn't do it. Or if I'm on a call or a demo or a meeting, well, how did I perform? What could have been better? And and what went well that I want to repeat going forward? And that again just becomes integrated into my personal operating system so that each and every day I'm just getting 1% better, getting better. And before you know it, over the course of a year, you're closing massive deals. You are moving these deals along because you're managing them like projects and your satisfaction is, is you know, higher. Your, your health is, is improved and it just becomes this flywheel that gives you the the momentum you need and you're actually better you know in front of others in front of your clients in front of your prospects and in, in teammates and in your your family and your your friends and and you're you're no longer obsessing about the outcomes they just become natural outputs of your inputs of your system and that's what what happened to to me and I just started focusing on oh this is actually enjoyable i like doing these things my, my routines and, and habits. Um, and I started looking forward to it every single day and, and work started to become not a burden. It became a pleasure. Hmm. Oh, that's wonderful, Brandon. I love that. Well, I'm curious to know, you know, when you, you know, start mentoring somebody, yeah. you know, a sales rep and, uh, and maybe they're even experienced, maybe they're really good at what they do. What are some of the key things that you have to help them unlearn? Yeah. Uh, unlearn. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I think we, we've touched upon a few of them, which is we, we've gotten in the bad habit of being reactive. We've gotten in the habit of constantly living in our inbox versus being deliberate somewhere else. We've gotten out of the bad habit of, of doing that hard task as the first thing that we do, perhaps after a morning routine of warming ourselves up. And, and, and those are some things that, you know, I, I talk to that, that we do, yeah, have to kind of unlearn those things and, and get out of, you know, wearing the, the lack of sleep as a badge of honor. It, it really isn't, you know, you're, you, it may feel like hustling gets you those short-term goals, but, you know, 90 days down the road or six months down the road, you may find yourself in, in that situation where you're like, mm, maybe I need to look elsewhere. And you're constantly in that loop of, oh, every year, or every two years, you're, you're, you're working hard, burning out, you had some initial success at the company, then it doesn't go so well. And you got to move on before you get fired. Though those are some of the traps that we need to avoid. And if we can sort of do the upfront work and be a little more thoughtful and strategic upfront, particularly if you're in enterprise and strategic sales, it's it's going to bode well for you versus just cranking it out, hustling and grinding, blindly believing everything that you're fed, you know, from the organization without making those personal choices that are, are more meaningful and intentional to you. Yeah, most definitely. And one of the things that I've seen, you know, with B2B leaders and salespeople especially is, you know, it, it, it almost is like the more successful they are and the more money they're bringing in, uh, the trickier it becomes because a lot of times there's may, may or may not be a lifestyle change along with that increase in revenue. Uh, so they feel the need to be working even harder 
And in your approach that you talk about in your book kind of takes that scarcity mentality and turns it on its head. Yeah, we've got to turn the scarcity mindset into an abundance mindset. And you really can't do that without being intentional and, and start to question, like, what are you doing? And why are you doing these things? And if we don't have the mechanisms built in every single day to sort of keep us reflective in that mode, yeah, you're going to fall into the trap of I'm hustling, I succeed, I then, you know, spend my commission checks, and then I'm, I'm on the, the hamster wheel. I burn out. <laughs> oh, I burn out because I'm in the wrong environment. I blame others. And now I got to go find a, a greener pasture somewhere. And, and, and before you know it, you know, you're, you're, you're 40, you're 50 and, and you're, you're inching towards retirement and, and you don't have control of your life. And, and so I think by taking the time to pause a bit or build those into your morning routine or your daily routine, you can start to be a little calmer and clearer with what you, you you truly want to accomplish out of life. And, and you start to see that you can, you're can you in more control. You can start to align your personal life with your professional work. And they can all start working towards something that is closer to your vision of a, of a personal North Star versus this constant tug of war that we, we find ourselves in because we're too distracted or we're too busy um, or we're, we're too stressed. It, it really doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. So when you've, you know, when you and your, the people you mentor step into these kind of sales conversations after, you know, being familiar with the principles you teach and you talk about in your book, you know, how do those conversations go? Is it just, is it really just, you know, when you hop into a sales conversation and you don't feel the need to sell because you know, Hey, if this conversation doesn't work out, I know that there'll be a dozen more of these lined up. Is, is that what it's all about? What I have found is sort of operating this way. Actually, you can, you can be more deliberate and you actually don't need to rely on the quantity. And, and what I actually find is the conversations actually level up and, you know, kind of going back to, well, if you start to work on more accounts that are meaningful to you, you'll naturally have a better connection with that stakeholder because, again, you might be a customer of, of that particular business or you know a lot of about that business and what's meaningful to them and you're bringing them insights because you took the time to do your deep work and you've relied on your system you know for a week leading up to that call or that 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 demo or that you know discovery call with them to really like blow them away and they're like whoa wow that's that's interesting i didn't think about that versus the typical I don't know anything about you. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions and I'm going to feel like a salesperson and I've got the pressure under me and I'm thinking about, I got to pay my bills, bills, or I've got to, I, I want to get this, this, this new car. And so I'm looking at you as an object versus a, a real human being and, and, and wanting to genuinely solve a problem because I actually know something about your business or I'm invested in your, in, in your business. 
And so by doing that, I don't need a lot of accounts. You know, on my path to seven figures for the first time, I closed five deals. Again, I'm, I'm talking about transformation deals. I'm talking about, you know, working at a company that's, you know, premium and, and, and so forth and, and, and big companies. But I also had a 78% closing ratio um, over, over the past four years. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing that because I'm deliberate on who I'm talking to and who meets my standards and my filter because these things are meaningful. Two great examples. I gave up Walmart. I gave up Apple, two of the world's, you know, literally Walmart, the largest company in the world, and Apple, one of the most iconic companies in the world. I gave them up because they didn't fit my personal filter. And I knew I wasn't able to get meaningful connection to the highest level executives like I could at, at some of these other companies. So being deliberate will help you to actually, you can do a lot more with a lot less. You don't actually need as many phone calls and, and as many meetings. And so I, I started ditching the traditional sales activity metrics and started looking at more of the things that I was tracking, like what's my sleep debt? What is my energy potential? How, how well recovered am I? How many meetings do I have in, these, in, 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 uh, in, in a day? Look, my mood. I knew that was a, a better leading indicator of my performance than, than the other stuff. Right on, right on, Brandon. Well, I've so enjoyed uh, the time that you've spent with us today on the podcast. I've learned a great deal. I know our listeners have as well. Where can folks get in touch with you? Where can they keep up with your work and how can they get a copy of your book? Yeah, so I invite everyone to follow me on LinkedIn and I post every single day. Uh, I deconstruct a lot of what I was just talking about every single day. And uh, if folks are interested, the ebook is going to be launched publicly here in the next six weeks. Uh, so in February of 2022. And to be able to sign up for that, just go to brandonfluharty.com. And if you're subscribed to the newsletter, you will get that upon release at a discount. Awesome. Brandon Fluharty, thanks so much for coming on Leasers of B2B. I've enjoyed our conversation. Noah, thanks for having me. This is great. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.